0: His glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Amen. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. God, we say come. Come and judge the earth in equity and in righteousness. Establish justice across the lands and every nation. Let incense rise to your throne. Let worship stream into Jerusalem. Day in, day out. Let the glory of God replace the sun. God, when we come and we just say amen and be it so. And we commit our worship to you. We ascribe to you the glory due your name. For you, are God, you reign. You created all the heavens and all that is in the earth, and you reign sovereignly over them all. You're the only one deserving of worship, only one deserving of honor and praise and glory. And so we extol you, our God. And we ask now, God, as we dive into your word, God, that you would edify us and grow us. God, that we would mature into the full image of Christ Jesus. Come now and pierce our hearts with your word. And have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you, guys. I'm going to jump down here because I don't like standing up here. So I'm, I come up here to worship, and my little niece is going, <laughs> <laughs> throughout the last two songs. I'm thinking, out of the mouths of infants and babes, he's ordained perfect praise. Amen? Give me a second to get set up here, and we'll get rolling. Did everybody get a copy of the notes? If not, there are, these guys have notes. Just raise your hand if you need a copy. They'll get you one. I got like four pages of notes. I don't know how far we'll get, but there's all the scriptures and stuff on there. So if we don't get all the way through them, you can have them and go study them yourself. And I encourage you to do that anyways. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Um, I'm excited to speak, a little nervous, but I'm excited and thankful to Todd. And he'll hear this on the podcast just for letting me have this privilege. It is a real honor to extol and preach the word of God with the people of God. And it's something I pray you never take for granted. As long as we have freedom to do it in this country, it should be done way more than it is done. For the word of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit, blood and marrow we got a good word and a good God. Amen. Amen. Melanie, John, I don't know where John went. There he is. Thank you guys so much. Mark, I don't know where Mark is either. Ethan, I really appreciate the worship for real. I give those guys a hand. Thank you, Melanie. It's a uh, blessing to have people that love worship more than performance. God has blessed our church, and that we have multiple people that can do that and lead us as a congregation. so thank you guys. I do appreciate you um, so what I want to talk to today what I want to talk about today is um, god centered missions um, so I do this on the back of knowing we just had a group come back from the Dominican Republic and um They seem to be energized and fiery, and amen, and I pray more and more for you. And um, so here's here's what I want us to do. Today, I want to create and help you dive into and encourage you to go alone in your study into why we do missions, okay? Um, Now, that may seem like a simple question at the front end. You may say, well, Jesus told me to, so I'm going to do it, and that's a good answer, that's a good answer. I'm not going to debate with that one. But there's deeper waters you can get into here and things that I believe will help sustain your soul in every season of life. And um, so, so we're going to get into that. Um, let's just pray one more time and then we'll get started here, okay? God, I commend myself to you now. I pray that you would rightly... Help me to rightly divide the word of truth. God, that your word today would run swiftly and be glorified in the hearts of this people. God, I ask you would release a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God upon us. God, that you would provoke hearts here today to run with you into the corners of the earth with the gospel. God, that today as this word settles in hearts that you would add gasoline to the fires that you've started, Holy Spirit. Help me to be faithful and communicate correctly and honestly, and uh, all for your glory and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to turn this off over here. So here's the main point I'm going to get across. I'm just going to lay all my cards out front, and then we'll go together, okay? I'm going to give you a little overview of this outline. My point today is to show you that the whole reason we go for Jesus and we preach the gospel to the ends of the nations is rooted in the truth that above all else, God loves his own glory. Above his love for people, and I don't mean to diminish it at all, he is way more passionate about himself. And this is a good thing. And I'm promising you that if you, if you submit to this truth and enjoy it as we go through it in the Word, it will light fires for you time and time again when you are tired, when you're weary, when you feel a little like you just don't have the sharpness. This is an anchor of the soul for any missionary. And I'm going to argue, too, that everyone is called to be a missionary. So, point one. Uh, The recent missions trip to the Dominican Republic and the upcoming season of evangelism efforts that Tisha talked about earlier, the church is moving to, have stirred me to make sure we have a proper theology of mission, and I believe it's crucial for our missions efforts to have a proper grounding in the word of God before starting an initiative like this. If you're not settled in why you're doing it, you're not going to do it correctly, or you might by God's grace, but it won't last forever, (laughs) okay? Okay? And so um, I don't want us to be scared of that, that we're building a theology of mission. It can sound really big words, and I'm in Bible school, so I'm tend, I tend to use big words that I forget not everyone is acquainted with, but it's not anything to be scared of, and I'll try to, to always uh, explain myself. Um, theology drives practice, so don't be afraid of theology. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis, he said, everyone's a theologian. You're just either bad or good. But everyone's a theologian. You've got ideas about God. You've got thoughts about God. You may think he doesn't exist. I don't know. But everyone is a theologian, and we're called to love God. In the great commandment, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So becoming and studying the scriptures is beneficial, okay? And it's part of the great commandment. If you want to fulfill the great commandment, you've got to give your mind to the scriptures, being renewed, right? Romans 12. So uh, I'm going to go through uh, two foundations of, of missions, and then I'm going to go into two things, God willing, um, that will fuel your heart in missions, okay? So let's start with the foundations of mission. This is a big one, okay? Number one, I'm in Roman numeral, Roman numeral two, letter A. Eschatology. Eschatology is a big word. That people like to use. And it means end times. Okay? It means the end of things. But now you can tell someone. I learned something in church today. And impress them with the word eschatology. Alright. Eschatology. So your theology of the end times. What you think about the end times. Global worship in the coming kingdom. And I want to submit to you. That the end game. Is not an ethereal heaven. I want you to know that there was a group, I don't want to get off topic, but there was a group in the early church called the Gnostics, and they taught that the body was bad, and that the spirit was good, and so we were tried, they were taught that we would try to escape the body through death, death, into a spiritual heaven, and it's created a lot of disenchantment in people's hearts, if they're honest about heaven. I remember being a kid, and I was on the roof, and I thought, I did not want to go to heaven, This seems, I mean, I'm going to be on a floaty cloud playing a harp, little angel wings, and it just doesn't sound real. And I'm going to submit to you, that is not what you're created for. You are created for a new heaven and earth coming together. There will be real people. There will be roads. There will be government structures. There will be work to do. You're created for this. And so I want you to know that you've got to have to work at least on the basics of your eschatology. You don't have to get into the tribulation and all that stuff, if, or the signs of the times, but you got to have a basic view that the end game is heaven meeting earth, right? Ephesians 1, I believe it says, in the fullness of time, he's going to unite all things in Christ, in all things in heaven and on earth. So these two are coming together and the, the curse will be gone completely. No more death, no more dying, no more sadness. The glory of God will replace the sun, it says in Revelation. There's no more nighttime. It says there's no more seas. I'm not sure why because some people like to swim, so I don't know. I think there might be. I don't know. Maybe I don't know the context well enough, I hope. Anyways, okay. So I want you to see this. Point one under letter A. Your theological endgame always determines how you live out your faith. Okay, Pause. If you don't have, right, what's the verse? Without a vision, the people perish, right? If you don't see where you're going, you're going to stumble there. If you're not, if you don't have a light to show you where to walk, you're going to fall. And it won't be, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm, okay, sorry, here we go. Your theological endgame always determines how you live out your faith, even more so how you communicate it. Without a clear picture of where your evangelism is going, and biblical motive for why you are sharing Jesus in the first place, passion will eventually give way to uncertainty and confusion. The dots must connect from your brain to your heart. Okay? I don't speak that on anyone, that you're going to be lost in confusion, but you have to have a solid grounding in the Word of God to sustain real passion that is not, that is not built out of emotion. I thought of you guys when I was thinking about this and not in a bad way, in a good way. I thought, man, God has, I keep saying you guys, I'm sure there's some people all around, but the missions trip people, God has ignited a fire. I've I've been there. I've been to Guatemala twice. It's the same time every time, same thing every time. You come home and you're like, I'm going to take the world for Jesus. And in about a month, you're kind of like, I'm back to normal. And I'm praying that not be the case here, but I'm praying that this word would give you a fuel and a foundation to keep pouring gas on it over and over and over again. The dots must connect from your brain to your heart to be sustained. Okay, so here's the foundation of eschatology. There is coming a day, amen, when Jesus will physically return to reign on the earth from Jerusalem. I gave you a bunch of scripture references there. You can check it out in your free time. Um, All the nations will worship Him. All means all, and that's all all means. Every nation Every tribe, every tongue, every people group. If you're not a multicultural person, you will be in the coming kingdom. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to see tribal dance for Jesus. You're going to see bongos and all kinds of eclectic instruments. If you're a musician, you'll love it. I think. I will. (laughs) Maybe you won't. I don't know. All the nations will worship him. There's some more scripture references there for you. And the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of There won't be any more atheists or agnostics. God is going to make sure his glory and fame is known on every scope and every place there is on the planet. Okay? Here's a few verses here. You don't have to turn there. We'll just read them there, there on the notes. Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Have you ever thought about how much water covers seas? A lot. Actually, every part of the sea is covered in water, I think. I'm not an oceanographer, but that means total. The glory of God is covering the earth. What a day. What a day. Amen. Maranatha, come Lord quickly. Next page, point B. Okay, so there's a quick background on wh- what what's the end game is, what God has in mind. Okay, so now here's a, another assumption I need to make sure everyone's on the same page with before we move into the fuel for missions, and that is personal evangelism. So God is going to make sure that the glory of God covers the earth, that uh, the waters covers the sea. There will be a witness in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, and you know how He's going to do it. Through you. God uses human means to spread the gospel. Now this is something we just assume, but it, it's important to affirm because there's debates in missiology, there's stories, and I don't, I don't mean to diminish them, I don't even know where I quite stand, but there's stories about Jesus appearing to people in dreams and they get saved, right? And I, I want to submit to you that um, that preaching, every, every instance in Acts where someone gets saved, it's through the work of another person, Okay? There's times when the Lord shows people dreams, right? If you're you're thinking, you'll think of Cornelius, right? God comes to Cornelius and says, Cornelius. But what did he say? He didn't say, here I am, here's a revelation of me, here's how you get saved. He said, go talk to Peter, right? And he gave Peter a vision. And then the two met, and and Peter brought the gospel to Cornelius' house. The point in all that is God uses humans, and he uses you to spread the gospel. If you don't go, it won't get done. How you combine that with the sovereignty of God is up to you, (laughs) and you can wrestle through it for the rest of your life, and I am. But he calls you to go, Romans, uh, let's just read point one, God uses human means to bring about obedience and worship from the nations. The predominant method of evangelism is through hearing the gospel preached. This This is the divine mission we have been assigned. The entire book of Acts tells of missionary endeavors of the Apostles. And never once tells of anyone receiving salvation apart from the preaching of the gospel. The reason I didn't make that a total statement and I said um, predominantly is because today someone could get saved by reading a Bible, right? And they wouldn't have to necessarily interact, so I just qualify her. All right, Romans 10:14. How then will they call on him on in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And here's the, here's the kicker here. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul, that's Paul writing in the Romans. The greatest missionary of all time. And he says, how, they, how are they going to hear if we don't go preach? All right, so God uses us to spread the glory of God and the message of the gospel. The only way a person can be saved, point two, is if they respond to the gospel call. Point three. Okay. If you've ever read Romans 1, it's kind of depressing. I don't know if you've really dived into it, but it's kind of like, man, all right? But it's the truth. All mankind is given enough revelation through creation to know that there is a God. That's what Romans 1 says. But mankind is rebellious by nature and suppresses this truth that God exists. Thus, the revelation that they have of God is only sufficient enough to condemn them to hell. Today, that's over 42% of the world's population apart from Jesus. Every, it, Romans 1 says, Every man is without excuse because he's seen God's glory revealed through the acts of creation, but they did not give praise to him, and instead they traded the glory of the immortal God for an image made in, in, of creeping things and men. Men are naturally inclined to make idols, Calvin said, "He's one of my favorites." He said, "Your heart, but this is all pre-salvation, is a hu- the human heart is an idle factory." And this is the truth of Romans 1. And so let feel the feel the weight of that. These statistics here in this little graph I gave you, they're from JoshuaProject.net. You can go and see they have a current update on all the lost people groups of the nations. How many of them have a Bible translation in their language? How many of them have a present witness of Christianity? So I want you to feel that way and know that he calls you, every single one of us in the Great Commission, to disciple the nations, all right? So I, uh, we'll skip over Romans 1. I put it there beside the graph. Um, you can read that in your spare time, but that's just the, uh, the verse I was just referring to. So, all right, let's get to Roman numeral 3. This is where I really want to just unpack some. I was uh, looking over my notes last night and got to Isaiah 48 and I just couldn't get past it. So we may not get past it here either, but uh, we'll, we'll do it. Okay, so there's your, your two premises for missions, things you just have to understand ahead of time, I believe, to make missionary fuel come alive. I'm calling it missionary fuel. One, that is the kingdom is coming to earth. There will be global worship. And two, the way that is going to happen... Is through the preaching of the gospel by human means. Okay? Everyone with me? Not falling asleep yet? All right. So let's get to Roman numeral three, missionary fuel. Point A. Gosh, I love this. This is the whole, if you don't get anything else, this is what I want you to just bite on and chew throughout the week and get in the word about it, okay? God loves his own glory. Now, there, there can raise a problem if, if, you're, if you think through it. Some people will say, doesn't that make God kind of egotistical, right? He commands us to praise Him 24-7. He commands His glory be spread. What, doesn't that make God kind of an ego? I'm saying, no way. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God loves most the best thing ever, and that's Himself. And God commands you, to praise the best thing ever because he knows your praise is related intrinsically to your joy what you delight in and give your heart to you'll you'll feel the joy of that and so when he commands praise he's saying be happy he's saying be happy in me i am the greatest thing possible and it's he's the only creature in the universe who can say that and it's completely true amen Our God is good, He is true, He is faithful, He is just, He is righteous, He is full of mercy, He is gracious. What is there not to praise? Okay. So, point one. The ultimate question that must be asked when considering missions is, why go? Some might be content to answer, because God told us to go. And although this answer is fine, it leads to another question. Why does God say go? The answer every action or decision God takes or makes is for his own glory first and foremost. And so if you have a Bible, open up with me to Isaiah 48. Don't have a Bible? Why not? Just kidding. Well, really, though. You can open it up on your iPhones or iPads or droids or whatever. Isaiah 48, I believe we're going to start in verse 8 here. So let me give you a little background, okay? For years and years and years, if you know Old Testament history, this will make a lot more sense. For years and years and years, prophets are coming to the nation of Israel and they're prophesying repentance. God is coming to you in judgment. You haven't torn down the Asherah poles, you've made bales, you've got tons of idols. And they refuse to repent, right? And, I mean, there's some severe warnings. If you read through the prophets, it can, it can like, wreck your day. He says um, things like that your nation, the city that was promised to you, the holy city, Jerusalem, is going to be torn down. The temple, the only place you worship, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them yet, so centralized worship is important. The temple, the only place you can worship, is going to be destroyed. That was the pride of Israel, Okay? So what happens? It comes true. The Babylonians come in 586 B.C. and tear down the city, tear down God's chosen people. So now they're not inheriting the promised land, Abrahamic covenant broken. There's no one on the throne of David, Davidic covenant broken, and they can't see the future. They, all they know is we're done for, right? There were some who had faith, though. Okay, so all these terrible things have come upon them. And so they're exiled. They're sent out into another, into Babylon as slaves, right? And as foreigners. The king of uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and I think there was one before him, Antioch Xerxes, he, he did not want them to stay. He wanted rule over Israel, right? He was expanding the Babylonian empire. But he did not want them to stay in their natural land. Because if they stayed there, they could rise up, make a revolt. The army could get together. So he would, when he would conquer a city, he would send people, all just scatter them, right? And that's what he did with Israel. He sent them out in exile by Ruby. <laughs> all right? So all this happens. I'm just trying to set the stage for you. And so now, finally, they're praying. Daniel, was, Daniel, if you ever read the prophet Daniel, he was one of the young people sent in the exile. When he was writing, he was writing from Babylon. Okay, so he's writing in the midst of a pagan culture. I don't want to get off topic, but there's there's so much good there in the book of Daniel. You got to read it and think about. It. He's in a pagan culture. They're making him study witchcraft and astrology, and yet it still says he was better than all of them. God's hand was on him, even in the midst of darkness. Okay, but they're in Babylon, right? They're uh, they are just scattered. Finally, Cyrus, king of Persia comes and destroys the king of Babylon. And now Persia is going to take over. Cyrus comes and God calls him his anointed one. This is a pagan guy, right? And he says, he says, I've sent Cyrus. And Cyrus let out a decree when he took over Babylon. He said, those of you who have come from foreign nations, you've been in exile, you can go back home. So you would think this is the Jewish hope, like, yes! We can finally return to the promised land. And you know what the Jews do? They just say, well, we're already here. Let's just stay. Let's just stay in Babylon. Let's not rebuild the, the, the tabernacle or the temple. Let's not have a king who God ordained. I mean, they know, they, they know the promises. The Messiah is supposed to come through this nation. And they're like, ah, we don't have to establish the nation. It's not a big deal. We're just tired. We, and so God is just like, I am so frustrated. And so that's where we find ourselves. <laughs> God is like you, stubborn people. Okay, so I gave you some background history. Um, verse four, you can see some of God's frustration. He says, "I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass." All right, so you you can just see there. God is, I I've, I've had it. Okay, so we get down into verse eight. He's just going on through the prophet Isaiah. Israel, you have never heard. I gave you the law and you never listened. You've never known. I gave you of all people the Ten Commandments to know my, to know my word to keep it, and you have never known. He says, And, uh, and your ear has not been opened. They, were, they had a sinful disposition inherited from birth. Their ear never opened. Okay? For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously Okay, and get this one here. And that from before birth, you were called a rebel. So I want you to understand, God, here's, here's the question that comes to my mind. I want to always encourage you when you read the word to ask questions, because then you've got to go search it out and you get more in the word and get answers. Okay, so he knows before birth, before the nation was even formed in the furnace of affliction, which he says later, which is Egypt, before the nation's birth, he says, I knew you would be called a rebel. I knew you wouldn't listen to me. Before before I before all of this, I knew you would be rebellious. So here is um, so here's the question. So if God knew he had chosen a rebellious people, why did he choose them in the first place? Okay? Furthermore, what is their hope that God would not just destroy them and start over? Like he tried to do in, in Sinai and Moses' petition. What is their hope that God not destroy them when they have nothing further? They have no good action to justify them existing. They have no good reason to even be alive. And verse 9 just comes in like a gong. And it tells you For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And the reason why, he never lists right here compassion for them. I don't deny he loves them and has compassion. But when all else has failed and you deserve no compassion, no mercy, God's namesake is faithful and it's always at stake. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. I will not share my glory with any people, with any nation. This is my glory because I alone am a good and true God. That is something to fuel your missions. So why go? Because God is passionate about his glory in every nation, in every tongue, in every tribe. They will proclaim the good works of God. There's so many psalms prophesying this, I can't even list them. All the nations will come to worship, and God is passionate about his glory. This will destroy you if you are man-centered. If you have a worldview that is shaped by God needs me, I am the best thing to God. God is uh, I'm, he's really lucky to have me on his team. I, and uh, hear me, I don't deme- mean to diminish God's love. It is true and real, and I'd love to preach another sermon on it, but not today. If, you, if that is your core of existence, if, you're, if the bottom level of your joy is God makes much of me, God makes much of me, watch out, watch out. Because here, when there's nothing to make much of, and God knows all the sinful dispositions we started in. Thank God for his grace and mercy. He's faithful to his namesake. His own glory, he is about bringing in the whole earth. Whew, that gets me amped up. All right. So are you seeing that? For my own namesake, for my own namesake, for my own namesake. If you don't get anything else, know that God loves his glory first and foremost. And it is the only thing that is really going to fuel you into going to the nation's. Compassion for people and not wanting them to burn in hell, I just talked about it earlier. Very powerful, but it is not a primary motive. Your primary motive is the glory of God, right? What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. God-centered man, right? Natural love for God flows horizontal into men by nature. It's the cross, right? okay for my name so thanks Cameron alright I'm just thinking here if there's anything else I want to say about this okay so God keeps his keeps Israel and sustains them for his own glory alright now I want to submit to you that the reason the gospel will go to every nation it's, it's the same instance every nation is like Israel and, and worse, right? They're, every nation by nature, every man is a pagan. They worship idols. But God, for his namesake, is not going to let Satan take the earth that he created. There will be more people worshiping God in the kingdom than there will be in hell. God is passionate about his glory. Passionate. And it's this same glory that saved Israel is the same glory that, that assures us that I can give my life as a martyr. I can go to unreached people groups. I can go to a place where the gospel has never been preached and have confidence because I know God wants His glory in this people. God wants His name represented in this group. I will not be afraid of Islam. Some of the lost, lostest areas of the world are in Islamic predominant nations. Do not be afraid. For in the Great, commi- in the great Commission, Jesus says... Forever I am, he says, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. What a promise. He will surely see through his own glory. He cares about it, okay? All right, sorry. Now I want you to flip to Romans 1. We're just going to be here real quickly and then we'll move on. This isn't in your notes, so I apologize if you need to write it down. I'm going to go to Romans 1.5. So I just want you to see the language Paul uses. So now I'm moving from an Israel context. God is is mainly in an ethnic nation in the Old Testament to now the gospel is saying, Jesus says, go to all the nations. And I want you to see Paul's motivation, the whole reason he's an apostle, what he believes. All right. Let's start in a... um, I'm just going to read the whole introduction here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in the power according to the spirit in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here we go. Through whom we, he's talking about him and fellow apostles and all men, I think. Through him, we have received grace and he has received apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. What's it say next? For the sake of his name among all the nations. So the whole reason Paul evangelizes is the same reason that God did not destroy Israel when they had nothing to justify them. For the sake of the name of Jesus among all the nations, I go. I'm an apostle. Have you ever thought about all the suffering Paul went through when he spread the gospel? What is it? He said, I forget how many times he said, I suffered 40 minus 1. You know, in every place he would go to pagans, this is getting off topic, but I'm going to share it anyways. Paul would go and preach the gospel to the Jews first. He would always find a local synagogue in a Gentile area, and they would he would always have a few converts, and then, sometime, and then the rest of them eventually would rise up and beat him. And they gave him two options. You can either leave the city, or you can take a beating of 39 lashes, according to what's in the law, and you can stay in the city. So every time he would go there to the synagogue, because he was faithful to the Jews first, and then he would say, I'll take the beating. I still got to preach to the Gentiles. Every time. Every time. What motivates a man to do that? What is burning on his heart on the inside to say, I'll take the beating. I'll take the beating. It's through many trials and tribulations we enter the kingdom of God, the word says. Right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, 1 Timothy says. Right? This is post-cross. This is an age of suffering and and being a sojourner and spreading the gospel, no matter what the cost. I'm not going to get there. All right. So I put a little chart here, um, just so you can see. I want you to know that God's glory is, is a motivating factor throughout all the Scripture. I, couldn't even, I, could, I could have put 50 Scriptures here, right? You can uh, just go to the back of your Bible, search glory, glory of God, and you can sort through some Scriptures, and you'll see. It'll start popping up everywhere if you look for it. If you read through the, I encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel and see how much it says, for my name's sake. The motivating factor is not compassion, not mercy, it's for my name's sake. He chooses to use people that are broken so that his glory will be revealed. Amen. So here's a few things for God's glory. We were created for God's glory. This is in the first part of the chart. He says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from, whom the, en- from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. The whole reason you exist is to magnify God's glory. There's no greater purpose. No greater purpose. Ephesians 1, 5, 6 tells us we were chosen to the praise of His glory and grace. The reason He saved you and called you is so that He would be glorified. Um, Jesus told us to do good works, that, that God would be glorified by others. You can see that there. I'm just kind of going through these really quick. Um, Jesus answers prayer so that God would be glorified, right, I mean, this is, we're talking about ultimate things, total things, the bottom of it, what's at the core, I'm, that's the kind of person I am, what's the What's the core, why, 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 God's glory, God's glory, God's glory, his name will be made famous among the nations, okay, and uh, I, at the bottom, I wrote Jesus instructs us to do everything, it's really Paul, but through Jesus, so it works, but. Just clarification there. So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to hit this last point here quickly, and then we will close. So a second thing to motivate your heart, um, and this one is directly tied to intimacy. Okay? When you begin to... I have to use language that, I don't, I don't know what other language to use, but when you begin to get a taste for the presence of God, and you get in that secret place, and you start to know Jesus as a man, as a person, and He's real. It's not just an ethereal figure. He's not. He's not someone in a book. He's real, and He's living, and He reigns. And when you get to know His voice, and His touch, and His presence. There's nothing stronger that will motivate you to spread His name than knowing Him. The intimacy of Jesus. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of His suffering. Anybody ever heard of the um, Moravians? Moravians? Zinzendorf? Right? These guys were dedicated missionaries. They would go out, uh, there's a story that just wrecks me every time. They would sell themselves into slavery to witness to slaves. And they would be drifting away on a boat, right? They, the two, I read about two of them who sold themselves into slavery and they were going to go on a boat to this island where these slaves were and they sold themselves to the owner to witness among the slaves. And as they're, they're saying goodbye to their families forever. Forever. Can you imagine the emotion? And you know what they say? May the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering. God died for this group of slaves. He wants some of them before the throne, worshiping. When you have passion for Jesus, and it's real, you want to give him everything. There's nothing, there's nothing that can, that holds sway. Nothing else has value. Everything is temporal. But Jesus will receive glory from a soul forever, forever and ever. There's nothing more you could give Him. We have, point two under letter B, we have been given the privilege to bring the full reward of Jesus' suffering by sharing the gospel. The the Father promised in eternity past to give the nations to His Son. This was Jesus' motivation to endure the cross he looked into the future can you imagine him he's sitting on the cross he's bloodied he's beaten beyond recognition and he's looking in the future and he's saying on this on this city in this city I will reign and the people that whip me they will behold him whom they've pierced and they'll mourn and every nation will stream like a flood into this city to give me glory and we will eternally delight in each other this was Jesus' motivation to endure the cross. He looked into the future and saw he would reign from the very city where he was being crucified with eternal brothers and sisters gazing at his glory. You can see that in Psalm 2. It's in the notes. You don't have to turn there. but I will, uh, He says, "'I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, "'You are my son. "'Today I have begotten you. "'Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage.'" and the ends of the earth, your possession. God said, I will give you, son. Can you imagine the unity in the Trinity? I'm just asking all kinds of questions. What was going on in that conversation? Was it like, hey, I feel like giving you something. Here's the nations. Ask me of them. I'll give them to you. The Father loves the Son. Hebrews 12, 2 just illustrates that point that I was just saying, that he looked forward to the prize he was going to receive. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, For the joy that was set before him, you are the joy that was set before him, if you're in Christ. You're going to give him worship forevermore. You are the joy. He saw you. He said, Glenn's going to be with me. He's going to worship me. He's going to dance and jump a lot. Amen. Every single one of you, if you're in Christ, you were his motivation for enduring. Woo! Amen. And that, there's Revelation 7, 9, 10, 9 through 10 there. It's just there to illustrate um, how it's total. Every person from all over the world would be there. be there. You want to be there. If you don't know Jesus... If you haven't met him, if you haven't repented of your sin and been made a new creation in Christ, if you haven't received grace from on high, I am encouraging you today, you do not want to miss this party. You do not want to miss this. This is something to live for. This is something to live for. Give yourself to it. All who put their faith in him will not be put to shame. Uh I'm just going to quickly gaze over this misconceptions thing. This is—I was going to add more, but I wanted four pages instead of five, so I didn't. So I'll tell you—I'll just quickly go through it. Um, One, i I just don't—I want to guard against the notion, and a lot of people in the world think this. If I talk to them about missions, they—they equate missions with humanitarian aid. Equate. If you say I'm a missionary, they're like, "Oh, what are you doing? Digging wells? What are you doing? Giving food? All those things are good." and necessary and we are commanded to do them but I want to submit to you that missions is not missions without the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached he's the only way truth and the life the only way to the father you can make a man more comfortable in his sin right and a lot of times humanitarian organizations can make life better for people but they they have no no purpose 70 years what is that in light of eternity Right, Matthew sixteen twenty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So I just want to guard against that. I want to encourage you. Missions in the church is God centered. It is about Jesus and His glory. Okay. And um, yeah, I'll, we'll we'll stop there. Um, I want to just tell you of a few things thoughts I have about um about how you can get involved in missions and what you're called to get involved in. And um, we'll close. I promise we'll close. I'm pulling a thought here. Um, okay, so the Great Commission. Everyone's read it, I hope. Matthew 28. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A lot of the times I've, I've, I've grown up Thinking, and I just picked it up from church culture, right? You're in churches, you think there's a few people that are supposed to be missionaries, right? It is like it's a side dish on the plate, it's one of the sides. I want to tell you, it is not a side, it is the main course, right? Everyone is called to be involved. There's three types of people when it comes to missions, right? There's goers. There's cinders and disobedient. I know that stings a little bit, but it's the truth. No one is exempt. If you're not going, your pocketbook should reflect your passion for fulfilling the Great Commission. And I, I, and I mean significantly. I want to challenge you. I mean, this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? Money, don't talk about Money. Eh? that, that you, are in, you are a part of the Great Commission, whether you ever step foot out of Alamance County or not. And I'm talking predominantly in spreading the gospel to unreached people groups. Now, there's a way in which everyone is an evangelist, and I, I'm not taking away from that, from personal ministry, but that we are told to go to every nation. And so the emphasis should be, nations where the gospel has not been preached. Paul even said that was what he did. So... Um, I want to encourage you to get behind missions agencies regularly with your finances. Regularly. We have an awesome opportunity to sow into one right here in Kingdom Living Now in the Kellogg's. They're discipling. They are fulfilling the Great Commission. All right, Discipling the nations. They discip- disciple pastors in Africa. And all other kinds of organizations. There's other kinds too, and I want you to pray about it intently. Really consider it. And when there's when there's opportunities to fund missionaries who want to go, who think I want to give my life to this, I'm burning, fund them, fund them. What what is more important? What could be more important than than sending a missionary? And especially someone whom you have relationship with. So I just want to challenge you. I'm not going to harp on this too long, but um, be involved in missions. Um, However, you can. The glory of God being your primary drive. So, um, can we sing one more song and we'll go home? Yeah. Can we sing a scribe? Cool with that? That's good. Not that the others weren't good.